Misha here. If you enjoy our episodes on career pathways in healthcare or the STEM field at large, then I have the perfect podcast recommendation for you, Raising Health. Previously called BioEats World, Raising Health comes from leading venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz, the same team behind the acclaimed A16Z podcast. Each episode, Raising Health dives deep into the heart of healthcare, biotech, and AI with venture capital investors and A16Z general partners. Along the way, they explore the real challenges and opportunities in health and biotech entrepreneurship. So whether you're interested in building a new digital healthcare company or your company is advancing a new novel medicine, Raising Health sheds light on some of the opportunities and obstacles along the founder's journey. Not to mention, you'll hear raw insights, actionable advice from notable guests like Omada CEO and co-founder Sean Duffy, an AI expert and in situ CEO Daphne Kohler. Don't miss out. Follow Raising Health on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and tell them I sent you. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it wow. out. It was that tall. golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. I'm your host, Erin Barker, and this week's episode is in recognition of the American Diabetes Association's Diabetes Alert Day on March 22nd. According to the association, diabetes is growing at an epidemic rate in the United States. In 2019, 37.3 million Americans had diabetes. That's 11.3% of the population. This is a serious thing because it's the seventh leading cause of death in the U.S., in today's episode, memoirist Michelle Carlo and comedian Gastor Almonte will share stories about coming to terms with what diabetes means for themselves, their families, and their communities. Our first story is from Michelle Carlo. It was recorded last December at our hybrid show at the Tank in New York City. The theme that night was belonging. One note before we begin, there is a minor glitch in the audio early on in this one. We apologize for that, but we hope that it won't impede your enjoyment of this story. When I was in seventh grade, a science teacher called me up in front of the class to make an example of me to support her lesson in genetics, presumably because I had, and still have, red hair. Michelle. You're Irish, right? Nah, I'm Puerto Rican. Oh, well, what color is your mother's hair? Black. And your father? Black. And your grandparents? Gray. Now, of course, you know, she was right, because two dark-haired people can have a red-headed child, and it doesn't matter what ethnicity. They are, but I was being a brat, so I got sent to the principal's office. And later on in my life, I realized that there was something that was also kind of genetically true about being Latinx, is that a lot of us, especially, I can say, in my family, are predisposed to certain types of medical conditions. In my family, it's the hat trick of glaucoma, asthma, and diabetes. In my family, anyone who's over 40 and overweight 
gets type 2 diabetes. And if it runs unchecked, if you don't take care of yourself, by the time you're in your 60s, you have either died from or suffer from heart disease. So in my family, I learned very early on that diabetes equals death. And um, when I was in ninth grade, my father, um, who had smoked two packs of unfiltered camels every day since he was about 12, went to the doctor and was told, quit smoking today or drop dead tomorrow. And to his credit, my father stubbed out the cigarette he was smoking right then and never picked up another. However, over the subsequent years, he put on a considerable amount of weight. And by the time I had graduated high school, he had developed type 2 diabetes, of which he was kind of fatalistic about, saying, well, you know, I was going to get it anyway. And I was like, no, Daddy, you didn't have to get it. And he was like, well, you know, it, it doesn't matter. And um, it got worse because he refused to stick to any diet that he was given to by any doctor. And um, I guess I could kind of understand it a little bit, but like, was he being stubborn, prideful? Well, probably a little bit of both because I don't know if you're familiar with Caribbean Latin cuisine, but it is varied and so tasty from our shared heritage of European, um, African and indigenous culture. And a meal is not a meal without meat. Fried meat and carbs, lots of carbs from rice and beans and starchy tubers like yuca, yautia, batata, and of course plantains. And then of course a meal is not a meal without a um, postre, a dessert, like uh, tembleque, which is a coconut flan, a coconut pudding, or flan, which is a custard, or helado, which is ice cream. And then of course you finish up with a cup of cafe con leche, coffee with steamed whole milk, and two or three azucales, sugars. And it gets better. When the holidays come, you get pork, 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 and more pork. And then you get coquito, which is a delicious blend of rum, coconut, cream, eggs, and more rum. I mean, who in their right mind would give up all this deliciousness? Even if your body couldn't take it anymore. By the time I was about to graduate from art school, my father had become insulin dependent. And um, just in case, he showed me how to um, inject him with a needle, preloaded insulin needle, if it was necessary, and he taught me by sticking it into an orange. And I hoped I never, ever, ever, ever had to use it. But one day, my father collapsed on the kitchen floor after having his usual breakfast of two fried eggs, two fried sausages, two twin donuts, and two cups of cafe con leche with three sugars each. My mom ran to the phone to call 911. My brother ran downstairs to try to flag down a cop car. And I bent down to smell my father's breath. I know, weird, right? But he had told me that um, when if, if, some, if somebody has a diabetic incident, you have to smell their breath. Because if it smells like acetone, like nail polish remover, then what they need is sugar. But if it smells sweet, then what they need is insulin. And my father's breath smelled sweet, sweet, sweet. So I ran to the refrigerator, took that preloaded needle, kind of like got his jammies down a little bit. And it's like, oh, I was like, oh God, who wants to look at their father's butt, right? So I just like turned my head and just jabbed him to his hip and hoped for the best. And he started to come to, and when the paramedics came, to their credit, in the Bronx, they came pretty quickly. They told my father that um, he was very lucky that I was there. 
And when they left, I was like, Daddy, you can't continue like this. You have to stick to the diet that the doctors give you. You have to start eating like broccoli and brown rice and cantaloupe or you're going to die. And he said, little girl, if I eat that, I will die. Who's going to take care of me when you leave? Because, you know, I was about to graduate and fixing to move out on my own. And I was like, Daddy, you have to take care of yourself. You have to take care of yourself. But he didn't. And about 10 years later, he did die of a massive heart attack, coronary, brought on by his unchecked type 2 diabetes. And it was, he was just three days short of his 65th birthday. And after that, my mom, who basically, I would say, ate kind of healthy, by which I meant that she'd sometimes eat a salad. She started comforting her grief with uh, regular meals of McDonald's and Entenmann's and Sara Lee, and she started putting on weight also. And one day I went into Manhattan, into the city, to meet up with her and my brother, probably going to go see a movie or something. And I met... I remember meeting them at the train station and my mother slowly climbing up the stairs. And when we started walking, she stops and she's huffing and she's puffing. And she's totally out of breath. And she goes, Mina, I have to stop. I have to stop. And I turned around because I'm like walking three steps ahead of her. And I see that she's totally red faced and puffy. And like, yeah, she had put on a lot of weight. And I was just like, mom, mom, are, are you okay? I'm okay. I am just old. I'm like, no, you're not old. It's not normal to walk half a block and not be able to breathe. I was like, have you gone to the doctor? Do you think you might have diabetes like daddy? And she's like, no, no diabetes. You are going to be old someday. And I'm just like, mom, has nothing to do with being old. Look at the crap that you and Brian are eating. I'm just like, you, you have to eat broccoli and brown rice and cantaloupe or you're going to die like daddy. And she goes, Michelle, I am a Latina. If I eat brown rice, I will die. You eat it. So, um, yeah, basically, I was eating broccoli, brown rice, cantaloupe, and every other fruit and vegetable, too. Because when my father died, that was a giant wake-up call for me. And basically, I revamped my diet overnight. I stopped eating all fast food, all commercial baked goods, and most soda. Well, you know, I make the exception for Myers Rum and Coke, but I don't have that every day, okay? And I make sure that my weight does not go above 125 pounds because as you could see, I'm on tiptoes. I'm kind of short. But, you know, at this point in my life, I didn't care because the only time I ate traditional Puerto Rican cuisine meals is when I went to my mom's or another relative's house. And some of the relatives were like throwing me like some mad shade when I wasn't eating certain things. And I was like, well, I don't care because, you know, but then again, I did care because it made me wonder if I was a traitor. Had I rejected my culture? Had, had I like, got, you know, become like this kind of like macrobiotic person? I, and I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter. Because at this point, I was pushing 40, and I did not want the curse of the Puerto Ricans to catch me. And about a year after that conversation with my mom, um, she too collapsed on the kitchen floor right after breakfast. And my brother called me and said, Mommy's in the hospital. So I just ran out of work, and I ran up to the Bronx, and I found out that not only was my mom's blood sugar 500, three of her arteries were clogged, and she had a massive heart attack. Only unlike my father, she lived long enough to go in for coronary bypass surgery. And the next morning, when my brother and I were allowed into the ICU to see her finally, 
it was so surreal. I mean, she was like on this ventilator thing and hooked up to all these machines and there were tubes and things beeping and making noises everywhere. And there were two nurses stationed in the room also. It was just like, like you couldn't believe it. Like it did, like the fright was just so horrible. And maybe it was because of this fright. And maybe it was because my brother and I were totally exhausted from sleeping on the hard vinyl, the waiting room hospital chairs all night. We started, well, I should stay. I started a fight. Look, you know, why don't you watch out what mommy and you are eating anymore? You know, you, 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 you did, she, she got this because she was eating like daddy. And like daddy had diabetes and had a heart attack. Grandma and grandpa had it. All our tios and titis had it. And you better watch out because you're about 35 now, right? And you're getting a gut. You're going to be next on that slab if you don't watch it. And he went, oh, yeah? Well, you just think you're slick because you're so skinny. I bet you still smoke pop. Dude, if I smoked weed, I'd be gordita because I'd have munchies all the time. You need to chill out. Maybe you're the one that needs to smoke some pot. This is the time when my mother started coming up, coming to, when she started waking up. She started stirring, and then she started thrashing around a little bit, and that was so scary because one of the tubes that was in her side came out. And what I perceived as a fountain of blood started coming out of her. My brother screams, and before the nurses could come in, I just jumped and I jammed my finger into the hole in my mother's side, just like that left fairy tale about the, 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 the boy with the dike. And then, you know, the, well, whatever, the little Dutch boy, right? I'm trying to plug the hole. And the nurses reach me, and they're like saying, no, you can't do that. Your hands are not sterile. And then they, they basically throw me and my brother out of the room. And um, my brother looks at me, and he goes, you killed mommy. And as I go into the bathroom to wash my hands, I started thinking, yeah, maybe I did kill mommy because I wasn't there all the time to keep after them to try to eat healthy. And I could tell you that there's no pain like washing your own mother's blood off your hands. I totally felt like the Puerto Rican Lady Macbeth. But my mom lived. She lived! And she's, oh my God, she's going to be 89 on her next birthday, which is next April. And you know why she lived? Because she listened to the doctors and she changed her diet. She'll eat broccoli. It's got cheese on it. She likes cantaloupe. But there's one thing that she won't eat ever. Brown rice. Because she says, Michelle, I am a boricua. Eating brown rice will kill me. Thank you. That was Michelle Carlo. Michelle Carlo is a native New Yorker, a New Yorican, a natural redhead, and she remembers when a slice of pizza and the New York City subway cost 50 cents. As a storyteller, she's performed across the United States, including at Joe's Pub, at Risk Live shows, and on the podcast, and the Moss main stage in New York City. And she's appeared on NPR and PBS. She's also the author of the memoir Fish Out of Agua, My Life on Neither Side of the Subway Tracks, and sometimes an actor. Before we continue with today's episode, a few reminders. As the weather, hopefully, begins to warm up these next few months, we'll be hosting a few outdoor shows in cities like Atlanta, New York, D.C., St. Louis, Vancouver, Toronto, and more. And we'll be returning to our regular stages in places like New York and Chicago. 
In just a few days on March 24th, catch us in Atlanta as part of the Atlanta Science Festival. There's really no substitute for seeing stories told live on stage, and we would love to see you there. Find out more at storycliderorg shows. And don't forget our big annual fundraiser, the Proton Prom, is coming up in Brooklyn on June 1st. Tickets will go on sale next month. We are planning a very exciting lineup. Stay tuned for that. We're also continuing to offer online storytelling workshops for individuals as well as private groups. You can find out more about that at storycliderorg workshops. Finally, if you're a fan of this podcast and if you, like us, believe in the power these stories have to reveal the humanity behind science, to change our understanding of how science happens and who it belongs to, please consider donating to the Story Collider at storycliderorg slash donate. You can also sign up to support us on a monthly basis at patreon.com slash thestorycollider. Our Patreon supporters can receive an ad-free version of this podcast as well as occasional bonus episodes and other gifts. We also have merch on sale on our website. If you would like to buy a Storyclider hoodie, t-shirt, or tote bag, you can find those at storyclider.org store. Your purchases help to support Storyclider's work. We're so grateful to everyone who helps make our work possible. Our second story today comes from Storyclider's own Gastor Almonte. It was recorded at the Unitarian Universalist Society of Amherst in Amherst, Massachusetts, in front of a small private audience and a live stream audience. The theme that night was exceptional. Yeah, I love baseball. Baseball is an awesome sport, mainly because it gives regular people hope that they could be stars too, you know? Like baseball, you could look like me and be the best player. That's crazy, right? It's bananas. That's why when you go to gift shops at baseball stadiums, they don't sell the pants. You can only buy the jerseys because if you showed up in the full outfit, they might think, oh, you belong out there. <laughs> I played it my whole life growing up. My dad was a real big fan. He's Dominican as part of the culture. I was raised to be a pro player. So like, by the time I was in eighth grade, I could throw 75 miles per hour, you know? So I had a little bit of a gun, but I was still chubby, you know? So like, I could throw really hard, but I also like had to take a deep breath if I had to tie my shoelaces, you know? It was a baseball body. I was built like that. And it's just something I've always had. I was chubby, but I still, took part in sports, you know, when I was in high school, I started on a football team. My intramural basketball team dominated St. Francis Prep Halls. It's crazy. You should read about it. And I wanted, I wanted the same for my kids, but they, they're not, they're not like that at all. Not even close. My, my son, he's 11 years old. He grows mushrooms for fun, like that's what he does in the house. There's a shelf in his bedroom with mushrooms and he's excited. And I can't explain to you how weird that is to me. Like I have to go to my house and have conversations about plants and mushrooms and fungi. I don't know what he's talking about, but he seems into it. And he made me sign him up for coding classes. He's like, I wanna do coding, you know? So he has a coding group he does after school. My daughter writes poetry, 
You know, um, I don't know if you hear how I talk, but I kind of get to the point. She writes fluffy words and then makes me read them and then try to figure out what they're saying. And I explain to her, hey, you know that you could use these same words to just say the stuff. <sighs> we got different philosophies is what I'm saying. But uh, I found my niche too, you know, as I got older. I realized looking back on it, my favorite parts about baseball weren't really playing. I didn't really care about how hard I could throw. That was something my dad cared about. My favorite part about baseball was sitting in the dugout, talking shit with the other people on the team. That shit was dope. It was crazy. You could just eat seeds, spit on the floor, and crack jokes. And that's a job for people. That's bananas. And as I got older, I realized that, like, you could do that, you know? I'm a comedian now. I perform on stages. It's really dope that I could just get up here and tell you how I feel, and someone will pay me for it. America's beautiful. And that's what I do. That's what I do for a living. And uh, this past year, I lost that for a bit, right? We had this quarantine that took place for almost two years. For two years, I couldn't go out and perform. Uh, during the quarantine, I found out I was diabetic. Uh, I wasn't moving much. I don't really exercise. I don't know if you get that vibe from me. The secret is out. Uh, the little exercise I got is because I used to walk a lot because when you go to perform in New York, you're walking around from club to club. I was getting eight, ten thousand 10,000 steps a day walking between clubs, but that was because there was a goal to perform on a stage. With the quarantine hit, my steps went from like 8,000 a day to like 200 a day. Like I was just not moving. Um, so one day, uh, I started like blanking out. My vision doubled. I passed out and I got taken to the hospital. And I spent six days there. You know, they found out I was diabetic and none of that really registered to me because I, I wasn't uh, all here. I was hallucinating when it happened. So it, it was hard for me to identify as that but I knew that it mattered to my family that I get better. So I did the things that they told me, you know. I started uh, eating oatmeal to get better. Um, I've talked about my lack of respect for that meal uh, before. Uh, I know some of you here don't know me, but it is the sand soup of the world. It is terrible. Do not eat it. You have better choices. You deserve better, sincerely, you know. Anyone that tells you different is lying to you. Cut them out your life. They are bad for you, okay? But I ate it because they told me it would help me to eat better, and I made other changes like that. And I stuck with it, and only with the hope that, you know, at some point things would open up again and I'd be able to travel and perform again. And, you know, it started to happen, you know. I... I got a call a couple months back and, you know, TV production started opening up and a production company was a fan of mine and they said, hey, listen, you know, with things opening up again, uh, we want to film a pilot where we film the day in the life of comedians and what's that's like. So uh, we're going to uh, film you traveling through New England for two weeks doing shows. So you kind of get like to go to different cities where you're not normally performing at, kind of do like a fish out of water thing, you know? They'll be like, oh, you know, like you 
kid from Brooklyn performs in Amherst, Massachusetts. Look at all the trees. What's he going to do? You know, stuff like that. You guys got an insane amount of trees up here, by the way. Uh, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, just in general, uh, there's cold, there's trees, and there's people, and there's never the three of those in the same place except here. That Venn diagram doesn't make sense. But I was excited for it, you know, so they sent me the paperwork and there's like stuff you got to fill out when you're doing a TV production, uh, dietary uh, concerns. So I'm talking on the phone with the producer, Chris, and he's like, hey, you got any needs? I was like, oh, I'm diabetic. So uh, as long as I got food pretty regularly, I'm good. I'm going to bring my own insulin. You don't got to worry about that. And he says, cool. So he sends me the form. I fill it out. I email it back and he gives me a call and he's like, yo, uh, Hey, don't take this the wrong way. I just want to ask you something for clarity's sake. I was like, okay, what's up? And I'm excited because uh, as a comedian, whenever someone says, hey, don't take this the wrong way, I know, oh, I'm going to talk about this private moment in front of everybody. So he's like, hey, man, I don't mean uh, to be offensive. I don't know. I've never had this happen before. It's a new thing, but... Uh, I'm like, okay, what well, we getting at, homie? And he's like, well, you told me you were diabetic? I was like, yeah. And, like, and you filled out uh, your, the form for what kind of food you're looking to eat. Um, so we got that. We're good. I was like, okay, great. Um, and he's like, but I noticed that uh, you didn't check that you were disabled. And I was like, I'm, I'm not. I'm fully here, B. You've seen me before. My feet, my arms work. I don't know if you heard, back in the day, I used to throw 75 miles per hour. And he's like, I, I, he's, that's cool. He's like, I'm not trying to change uh, how you view yourself or identify. I'm just putting it out there because uh, we just had a meeting uh, with HR and we're uh, trying to be more uh, aware and proactive and sensitive to people with invisible disabilities. And I'm like, like Superman, like nothing can shoot them. <laughs> he's like, no, that's uh, invincible. This is invisible. I was like, okay. So he's like, yeah, you know, like uh, some people got sickle cell, uh, you know, so uh, diabetes does fall under that. And not to say that you have to say you're disabled, it's how you identify, but I'm putting it out there, it's a thing that you can say. And if you do so, you know, there's stuff we could do that's in addition to what we have, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, yo, but you seen me, I look regular, I'm a regular dude. And he's like, again, you know, just putting it out there, you have the option. And he hangs up and, you know, he gives me the time to kind of think it over. And I'm thinking to him, I'm like, Yo, I'm, I know I'm, I'm not disabled. I'm not, I don't have a disability. So I go outside and like, I call up my brother. He's 20 years old. He lives down the block and I make him play catch with me. Like just to like, I, I'm still throwing rockets out here. Like my, I'm fine, you know. We play basketball. He's six foot five. He wins, but I scored some buckets, you know. Like I feel good. My wife comes home from work and me and her start talking while the kids are doing homework. And I'm like, yo, you believe this dude said that? And she's like, well, you know, it's something to consider, you know. Uh, they're not trying to be rude to you. They're trying to be sensitive just in case that's something that's on your mind. Because, you know, when, uh, when COVID happened, for example, you were able to cut the line because you were diabetic, you know? So clearly that's an idea that's out there and 
you being diabetic, all that means is that you have one other thing to consider before you go out. You know, and every time you eat, you have to take those shots to make sure you're okay. And that matters. So it's not that you're unable to do things. It's just you have to think about that. And I think that's something that other people have to consider too. And I'm like, but I'm still, I'm like, but I, I look regular. I, I don't look like I have a disability. I'm not disabled. And my son, he's like, hey, dad, uh, just, just for clarity's sake, uh, we're not supposed to say disabled anymore. I was like, excuse me? He's like, it's not disabled, it's people with disabilities. And I was like, how do you know that? Coding camp, dad. We got two kids. Uh, one of them is a kid with the wheelchair. He's awesome. He's taught me a lot in coding. Uh, and there's another kid uh, in the camp as well. And I don't even know what the thing is that he deals with. He just let us know. And I'm like, yo, can I sign up for this coding camp too? Like, it sounds like y'all are covering a lot more information than what I thought I was paying for. That's pretty cool. And I look back at my wife and I'm like, okay, so I, I don't think I have a disability because, again, like I feel like I look like a regular person. And my daughter is like, uh, dad, um, this, it's not that disabled people can look regular. It's that sometimes regular people have a disability. And I was like, fuck, those words dope. <laughs> I see what that poetry shit is doing. That's kind of hot, yo. And it weighed on me. And uh, I told Chris, I was like, yo, for the time being, I'm going to leave it as is for this project, but I'll think it over for the next ones as we keep working. But I got a lot of peace of mind knowing that um, However I identify as now or how that changes, you know, it's okay. I'm going to be able to keep it moving and keep being productive. And at the very least, my kids are going to love me and be open-minded to it too, even if they can't throw 75 miles per hour. Thank you. That was Gastor Almonte. Gastor is a stand-up comedian and storyteller from Brooklyn, New York. He's appeared on Comedy Central's This Is Not Happening and several times on this podcast as well as Risk. Time Out Magazine named him one of your new comedy obsessions. His album, Immigrant Made, topped the charts after it was released in March 2019. You may have also caught him recently on Peacock's True Story, hosted by Ed Helms and Randall Park. And he was featured recently on Comedy Central's Stand Up. He is also the Story Collider's newest board member. The Story Collider is so grateful to Michelle and Gastor for sharing their stories with us. The Story Collider is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast is produced by me, Aaron Barker, Executive Director and Co-Founder of The Story Collider, with help from Managing Producer Misha Gajewski, Education Director Nissa Greenberg, and Senior Podcast Editor Jun Chen.
Special thanks goes out to Story Clutter's board and the rest of our staff, including Managing Director Anne-Marie Lonsdale, Science Advisory Fellow Edith Gonzalez, Operations Manager Lindsay Cooper, and Marketing Manager Nikisha Roberts-Washington, without whom none of this would be possible. The stories featured in today's episode were from shows produced by Christine Gentry and Zach Stovall, as well as Nissa Greenberg. The theme music is by Ghost. Next week, we'll be back with more live recorded stories in an episode titled Science of Gender. Thanks for listening. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.